Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Bidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring the song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. Oh, we're here. You wanted a hit recording session with Adam Weiner, Theo Beadler, and Michael Smith. <laughs> yeah, that's a new uh, intro, We can't right? really give a better intro than that. We are so excited to have a special guest with us tonight. We have broadcasting from Philadelphia. Adam Weiner, front man of Loka Connie. Adam, oh, welcome to the show. So happy to be here. You wanted a hit, so you called me. Yeah, right. That's we called the right guy. I love it. I enjoy <laughs> the I enjoy the show, and I'm excited. Hopefully, you don't blindside me with some shit that I either don't know or really don't like. <laughs> Sometimes those are fun, though. We've had uh, we we've had some fun ones like that. I don't know if you'll like this song, but you will know it. I'm, I'm, I'm positive about that. Uh, whenever we do have a guest on, I try to find a song that I think that either the, the guest will like or that there's a connection with the guest. This song has a very, very slight connection with you. It's a stretch, but I'm going to try to make it. I'm going to try to bring it around. Uh, truthfully, I've been wanting to do this song for a long time, and we can only appropriately cover it around Thanksgiving time. So it was really now or never. What is it? Fucking over the river and through the fucking woods or some shit? Close. Well, I can't imagine we'd be talking about the band. Well, it, well let's just let's just jump in. All right. What go. do you have for us? Let's see if you guys know this one. This song's called Alice's Restaurant. It's about Alice. Oh. It says it right there, you know? The Alice's Restaurant. restaurant. There it is. This is kind of a Thanksgiving song. Do we do we like this song? Do we? We'll start there. <laughs> yeah, it's a song that uh, the first time I heard it, I liked it, and then I never particularly wanted to hear it again. Although some people, <laughs> they listen to it every year. Well, this you know? is my my stretch connection with you because I think I only know this song because legendary DJ Pierre Robert and I believe your friend yes. Pierre Robert plays this every year on his Thanksgiving broadcast or in WMMR. And that's the only way I know this song. And I thought it was a very quirky thing that he did. He's a very quirky guy. Uh, but apparently it's not. Apparently many radio stations around the country, this is a tradition that they play the song on Thanksgiving. Uh, even our friends at XPN apparently used to play it at noon every Thanksgiving. So unbeknownst to me, this is much more of a Thanksgiving song around the country than I had originally thought. Yes, I. I- I uh, hear it every year. Pierre plays it every year. I never make it through the whole freaking song. Um, it's a long yeah, one. Man, we like, won't listen to the whole thing tonight. Don't worry. <laughs> I love I love Moby Dick, but like, are you gonna read? How many times are you gonna read it? Do you know what I mean? I like the uh, idea of Moby yeah, Dick. It's a good book. Uh, but but like, um, <laughs> it's a uh, it does it. Alice's Restaurant is one of those like, oh, it's fall. Yeah. It's fuck it's fucking fall now. Mm. It's like uh Neil Young's Harvest Moon and Oh, that was another one I guess I guess that 
I was like, thanks, I don't know, Thanksgiving fall, but also not not weird or unlikely. So this is this is a little bit of a weird song, and I have to admit, a little bit of a blind spot for me. Like I've heard it, I I, I know of it, but uh, I can't tell you much about it. So I'm I'm excited well, to dive in. That's why we're here. On this one. Uh, typically, we would watch the video or listen to the song at some point. We will not. It's very long. Um, but we'll, we'll jump in, and I, I will. <laughs> read <laughs> lyrics from the song that are important to, to the story here but uh to give a little backstory alice's restaurant is written and performed by arlo guthrie as i'm sure you guys know but you know some of our fans may not uh for those who do not know arlo is the son of folk legend woody guthrie and dancer marjorie mazaya um if you don't know who woody guthrie is you're probably not a fan of this podcast uh but you might know the song this land is your land if you don't know what he is, yeah, yeah, got some homework yeah. to do. But um, Woody said that he named his son Arlo because, quote, it was a good name for a professional. Uh, Arlo was one of eight kids, and he is currently the oldest still living of the clan. Uh, he was born in Coney Island, right down the way from me here in Brooklyn. Uh, and he spent his formative years here in Brooklyn. But as a teenager, he would attend a boarding school in the Berkshires of Massachusetts called Stockbridge School. Uh, and this school will play a pivotal role in uh, in the foundations of the song tonight. The school I read was very progressive, had a big focus on the arts, as you can imagine. Uh, it was also, quote, unusual for being racially integrated from its inception, which was shortly after World War II. What, Woody, Woody did his homework on the school. He did. Sounds like. <laughs> uh, the only other notable alumni that I could find from the school was Chevy Chase. Is- oh. Uh, so that is the... The, the setting for this song, because that's that's where the, the roots will come from here. So uh, you guys said you're you're vaguely familiar with the song, probably Adam, more so than Mike. Uh, for our listeners yeah. who are not familiar, I do encourage you to stop the podcast and go listen to it. Uh, we will see you in about 20 minutes, because as Adam <laughs> mentioned, it is 18 minutes and 34 seconds in length. At least the recorded version of it is. Man. It's a long one. It's a long one. It's a you know how I feel about long songs, Theo. I don't. Are you not a fan? I feel like we've talked about this. I, just growing up on like punk rock and hip hop, like long songs are difficult for me. There's a few that I can get into for various reasons. For the most part, if I see the runtime past four thirty or five minutes, it's going to be a tough one. This for me. song is practically an entire punk album. Yeah. So I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, it is. This is Rocket yeah. to Russia. <laughs> uh, before we jump into the to the, the lyrics of the song here uh, i will say it's the style of talking blues which was actually a style that his pops woody adopted jeff place the record producer and folk life curator for smithsonian folkways said woody adopted the style of talking blues which comes from chris Buchion, a 1920s country and blues musician Buchion wasn't a good singer so he talked his way through a song and woody thought it was a fabulous vehicle for social commentary so while the song is often called alice's restaurant the full title is actually Alice's Restaurant Massacre, and a massacre is defined as a bizarre and improbable sequence of events creating great confusion and fuss, which, again, if you know the song, you that rings true. Uh, so yeah, the I've always enjoyed the song in some ways, maybe once a year, uh, because it is... In some ways? Yeah, well, I mean, it's long. I only listen to it once a year. It's a rambling, bizarre story. But the fun part, the crazy part that I didn't realize was it is all true. And it is all essentially an autobiography of Woody's uh, or Arlo's uh, year in his life. So if you know the details of the song, it's, it's pretty wild that this is true. So we're going to dig into it. Uh, the song begins. The first lyrics are, as we heard a second ago, the song is called Alice's Restaurant. 
and it's about Alice and the restaurant. But Alice's restaurant is not the name of the restaurant. That's just the name of the song. That's why I called the song Alice's Restaurant. And then he hits a chorus of the song, which is... You can get anything you want At Alice's Restaurant Walk right in, it's around the back Just a half a mile from the railroad track And this is all true. The Alice here in question is Alice Brock. She was a librarian at Arlo's boarding school. Uh, and she did have a restaurant, but it wasn't called Alice's mm. Restaurant. It was called The Back Room. And it was, in fact, located in the back behind a grocery store. Wild side note, the famous painter Norman Rockwell had his studio above a restaurant at the time. So a lot of, a lot of good art happening in this space. This is our second episode that's about a restaurant. Is it? So we talked about Tom's Diner. Mm. Oh, we did. Not so, not so long ago. I think I mentioned uh, this song. I think you did. During that episode, yeah, I think so. you did. So uh, the song goes on. Now it all started two Thanksgivings ago, it was on two years ago on Thanksgiving when my friend and I went up to visit Alice at the restaurant. But Alice doesn't live in the restaurant. She lives in the church nearby the restaurant in the bell tower with her husband Ray. So Alice and her husband Ray did, in fact, live in a church. And Arlo and his friends went up for Thanksgiving 1965 to visit them. This was Arlo's first year post-high school, post-boarding school. Uh, he was back in town. He was on break from his first and last semester as a college forestry major at Rocky Mountain College in Billings, Montana. Yeah. Wow. I, I see we've got some snacks in the house, and I very much approve. What do we, what do we got over there? It's a long song, so like I was like, I might as well get some corn, ch- you <laughs> corn chips or something going. <laughs> By the way, Billings, Montana is kind of a cool place I've been there. Never been. I, I would love to go. Apparently, Arlo hitchhiked from Montana back to Massachusetts for this Thanksgiving meal, which is seems like a very long way. Yeah. Uh, Guthrie quoted once, uh, a lot of people thought it was fiction, and this is all real stuff. I had visited my friends during Thanksgiving break, Ray and Alice, who lived in the abandoned church. Uh, if you know the song, you eventually know that Arlo and his buddies get in trouble for illegally dumping trash on that fateful Thanksgiving night. Arlo said in an interview, a friend of mine and I decided to help Alice and Ray clean up their church. And because I had gone to school there, I was familiar with all these little back roads and nooks and crannies. And I knew a place where local people were used to getting rid of their stuff. So it wasn't like some pristine virgin forest that we'd, you know, we were screwing around with. And our pile of garbage, well, we couldn't tell the difference once we threw ours down. And he says in the song, uh, well, he talks about how the, the town dump was closed during Thanksgiving. And he says, we decided that one big pile is better than two little piles. And rather than bring up the one pile, we decided to throw ours down. Which, yeah, you know, sure. I that's that's a good explanation considering he is the son of the songwriter of "This Land Is Your Land." Yeah, fair. You got to you got to live up to a <laughs> certain caliber there. But I could see why there's some sensitivity there. Yeah. Uh, the song continues, and we find out that an officer, Obi, tracks down the two the next day and arrests them for littering. Uh, and this is true, and there's actually a news article written about this that I found from the Berkshire Eagle from November 29th, 1965. It is entitled, Youth Ordered to Clean Up Rubbish Mess. Uh, I'm going to read some of this article to you because it lays things out really well, and it's a fun little glimpse into the true story behind this song. Did you have to look up microfiche to find this article? I did. You? Uh, wow. <laughs> It wasn't, I mean, other people had done it for me. I found it, but it is a copy of the actual 
like uh, uploaded printed version of this paper here. Microfiche. I'm picturing you at the library with one of those machines. Sadly, I think all three of us uh, are old enough that we did that at one point in our lives, <laughs> <laughs> researching back in high school and college. So. so the article reads, because they couldn't find a dump open in Great Barrington, two youths threw a lo- load of refuse down a Stockbridge hillside on Thanksgiving Day. Saturday, Richard Robbins, 19, of Poughkeepsie, New York, and Arlo Guthrie, 18, of Howard Beach, New York, each paid a fine of $25 in Lee District Court after pleading guilty of illegally disposing of rubbish. Special Justice James E. Hannon ordered the youths to remove all the rubbish. They did so Saturday afternoon following a heavy rain. Police officer Chief William J. Oppenheim of Stockbridge said later the youths were found dragging the junk up the hillside much harder than throwing it down. That's Obi, right? That is Obi, yeah. Okay. He said he hoped their case would be an example to others who are careless about disposable of rubbish. The junk included a divan, which I believe is a fancy word for sofa, plus nearly enough bottles, garbage, papers, boxes to fill their Volkswagen bus. Chief Obenheim told the court he spent a very disagreeable two hours looking through the rubbish before finding a clue to who had thrown it in there. He finally found a scrap of paper bearing the name of Great Barrington Man. Subsequently, investigations indicated Robinson Guthrie, who had been visiting the Great Barrington Man, and agreed to cart away the rubbish for him. They told the court that when they found the Barrington dump clothes, they drove around and then disposed of the junk by tossing it over the Stockbridge hillside. That's, that's how this guy was spending his holiday weekend? So that's your article from 1965. And as, as you pointed out, Officer Oppenheim is Officer Obi of the song's fame. Well, that's a mm. slow news week. I, well, according to the song, it was the biggest thing to ever happen in town for, for many years. <laughs> they, they brought out all the police and all the equipment. They would eventually go to court. Officer Obi entered into evidence. 2785 town color glossy photographs with circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one explaining what each one was to be used as evidence against us. And that is a line that is comically repeated multiple times in the song, although it was confirmed later that the photos were in fact black and white. So a bit of artistic liberties there. Your tax dollars at work, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. We, 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 <laughs> yeah, serious crime. The judge that presided over this, as we saw in the article, Judge James E. Hannon. Uh, if you listen to the song, you, he was, in fact, blind. And the song goes into that, which leads to the great line. Because Obi came to the realization that it was a typical case of American blind justice, and there wasn't nothing he could do about it. So those 8x10 glossy photos did not matter in the end. But they you were found guilty. I had to pay 25 bucks each. So that's the first part of the song. If you know the song, you know that the song is actually become a vietnam anti-war song and it's a uh war about the draft so let's get into that part of the song here uh, apparently arlo started writing the song that very friday after thanksgiving when they were initially arrested uh, he said they were goofing around playing the guitar making up funny lines but it wouldn't come together until about a year later after everything else that subsequently happened so after his first and last semester in college arlo said in an interview with npr I decided to stay out of school because the civil rights movement was going on and the ban the bomb, clean the water, fix that, do this. You know, I mean, all the world was changing and I wanted to be where that was happening. And so I left school. And of course, that made me eligible, as it were, to, you know, join and get sent over to Vietnam. Mm. So as the second part of the song details, he was called in uh, for his physical to be drafted into the army. And as he says in the song, get injected, inspected, detected, infected, neglected, and selected. That's pretty good. Good line. Yeah, that's good. I I don't know if I've listened that intently or long enough to even get to the Vietnam part of this song. The meat. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea of its connection. 
well, I'm saving you the trouble here. But you should. Adam, were you aware of this? Of this connect? Have you listened enough to know this connection? <laughs> like I said, one time. <laughs> it's like, you know, I've seen the movie The Deer Hunter, and it's right. a great movie. And it's like, uh, but uh, once is enough. You know what I mean? With certain, with certain things. Yeah, I don't, I don't watch Apocalypse Now huh? often. Certain things, once is enough. And you're... Yeah, your recap is uh, reminding me of the song as I listened to it probably twenty five years ago, all the way through. Not <laughs> uh, As you were, as you were, keep well, going. This next part, so uh, <laughs> he was selected to be. It's a little bit murky in how how true all this is, but he did go down to the draft board. Uh, there's evidence that he might not have been drafted after all, but. Uh, there was questions about his ability to serve because he was a criminal and he'd been arrested before for littering. So it was that fateful Thanksgiving that might have kept Arlo Guthrie out of the war. Man. And which gives us a great line from the song. Sergeant, you've got a lot of damn gall to ask me if I've rehabilitated myself. I mean, I mean, I mean, I just, I'm sitting here on the bench. I mean, I'm sitting here on the group W bench. Because you want to know if I'm moral enough to join the army, burn women, kids, houses, and villages after being a litter bug. You left it, Mr. Kid. You don't like your kind. That was enough. He was, uh, he was immoral to go fight in wars. Mm. It sounds like a real Okie from Muskogee to me. Yeah. Arlo said in an NPR interview, I didn't really want to go, and little did I realize that when I went down to the induction center that they, well, they found me ineligible, and I just couldn't believe it. And so I turned it into a song. It took me about a year to put it together, and I've been telling it ever since, just about. He added, I was adding to it, and if it was funny and it was true, I kept it, and if it wasn't funny, people didn't respond to it. I dropped it. And so it was really, you know, it was performance art, and I just memorized the best parts of it. But I guess he'd been playing it for a while live to see kind of what stuck what worked what didn't kind of. at, at, at this point in his career uh like where's he at he's, like he's fresh he had uh, he's fresh this, so this will become his first solo and his first brand album. new so if he's playing uh, opening sets or uh i think you know playing. a lot of the gigs that he'd be playing Dude, you just dropped the one early song. in his career yeah one song that's one what i'm song. getting to that's true that's a good point <laughs> well i think he's playing like folk festivals and and yeah, night, you know it's a different time, and he's living in New York at the time, uh, right? Still, you're not getting ninety minutes at those things. You're not. You're but not. I will say that 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 folk scene back then, they were some all some long winded motherfuckers. That's probably you know yeah. what I mean. That was the whole thing where these long ass story songs and people were like, you could hear a pin drop. They sit. They were all very collegiate, and mm-hmm. that was that was the thing. So. I don't think it was a big deal that he was dropping an 18-er on these people. <laughs> That's a good point. Tis the season to be thankful. We're thankful for our friends at Sierra Nevada, who's been supplying us with delicious craft brews so we can give you spirited conversation on this podcast. Check out Sierra Nevada's classic styles, seasonal offerings, and new varieties wherever you get fine craft beer. Sierra Nevada has been family-owned, operated, and argued over since 1980. Enjoy responsibly. Well, Alice's Restaurant had its first radio premiere 
in February of 1967 on New York City's WBAI in a live performance. Guthrie said, I've been a big fan of WBAI. I've been to their studios a few times, and one night they asked me to perform live. I had no idea they were taping it, although it wouldn't have stopped me from performing. I love those guys. So he thought it was just going to be on the radio, and then it's gone I guess so, after yeah. that. But this gotcha. was the first recording that uh, started to gain okay. some luck. According to Smithsonian Magazine, by May, the nonprofit WBAI was receiving so many requests to play Alice, it became a fundraising gimmick. WBAI would play it after they'd been pledged enough money, recalled Guthrie. Then he quipped, eventually, they were playing it so often that they took pledges to stop playing it and raised even more money. <laughs> I was about to make that joke. Well, Man, they already did it. Did it for you. The popularity really took off during the 1967 Newport Folk Festival. Have you ever played the Folk Festival? Me? I've played the Newport Folk Festival. I've always wanted to do Newport. That's been like oh, I've, I've I've been to Newport, and it is, it's everything that you've heard it's pretty it is. pretty cool. And, and Arlo uh, is there every couple years. Um, and and last uh-huh. year when I was there, I sang with his daughter, Sarah Lee Guthrie, who's very talented. That's his daughter. Oh. Amazing. Oh, yeah, super. So, I knew we'd find a connection. Did you have any oysters, Adam, while you were there? I'm allergic. Uh, but I used to, Oh, no! Yeah, but they. everybody says they're great. And um, <laughs> it's a beautiful festival. I've done it, it twice. Really is. It's really nice. And again, there's some, there's some attentive motherfuckers. Because I've done... So attentive. I've done Bonnaroo and Lollapalooza and all the biggies. And like it, it ain't like that. At Newport, wow. people will be talking and giving speeches and talking shit and singing long songs, and people are into it. People are having a great time, but they're they're there to listen. Well, that's what happened here, because Arlo played the song for the first time to a handful of folks on Saturday afternoon, and it went over so well that he was asked to join the Sunday set, where he played it in front of a few thousand. And then the reception was so amazing that the producers put him on a set that evening where he played to either nearly 10,000 people or 30,000 people, depending on which article you believe. But either way, <laughs> this was like the big break for the song. Arlo said it would take a few paragraphs just to name all the artists who ended up playing with me, but I was really amazed that so many of my heroes were willing to participate. I learned later from Oscar Brand and Pete Seeger that they were worried that I was so young and inexperienced that performing for such a large crowd could have become a bad situation, so they wanted to show some support by sending out performers who were willing to sing with me. I was thrilled. And it's after that performance that the labels came calling, and he was able to release his first record, which is called Alice's Restaurant. Uh, this song takes up the mm. entire A-side, and the B-side features seven other cuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, you fit seven on the other side. That's, seven to one, That's man. cool. Uh, the whole album was done in front of an audience, and apparently was recorded in one take. Guthrie said, now that I look back, it's crazy not to have a chance to record the rest of the album where you could work on it a few times, as in a normal studio setting. It could have been a lot better, but it's water under the bridge at this point, and I don't think much about it unless someone reminds me. I get that. You yeah. know, to do it all in one take hmm. is, a, is, you know, is a tall order, and then you have to live with that record the rest of your life, so... So many of us, so many of us artists don't like their, our early music because we didn't have the time or couldn't afford the time to, to get it right. Mm-hmm. But you got to live with what it is. We've talked many times on this show about how limitations can sometimes create 
amazing art though. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, sometimes like some of my favorite music, I'm like, I don't know if they would have had all the resources. I don't know if I would have liked it as much or would have connected with me as much. Sure. I agree. I agree. Somebody told me the story recently about the famous song stay by Maurice and the Zodiacs. Mm-hmm. Um, the doo-wop song. Stay just a little bit longer. Yeah. That they record, the, the studio gave them 10 minutes at the end of the session and that they, they basically only had one take and the woman janitor was cleaning and she was dusting the piano while they were doing it. You hear, you hear the duster go on the piano during the song. And that one take of that thing became like a multi-million selling hit iconic song. Th- those are the kind of stories that we like to hear on here. <laughs> that's that's outstanding. It's good. When the I chips guess. are down, you got to like come up with the goods. Sometimes that's a good way to do it. <laughs> Can you hear the audience on the record or... Yeah, you can. they're laughing in certain parts, which I think adds to. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it feels like a song that should just be like in a live experience. Like it's kind of like a comedic telling. Yeah, I so. thought I remembered you could hear people in the in Alice's restaurant in the song in yeah. that most famous recording. But it does remind me of uh, that Rage Against that first Rage Against the Machine record. They they recorded that in right. front of an audience all the way through. But I don't think you can hear a crowd at all. And that, but also they're super loud. I don't know what yeah, you're going to hear. A little different than Arthur Guthrie. <laughs> uh, so there is no video for this song, uh, but there is an entire film. Hi. Which I don't think I knew. Did you guys know that there's a Alice's Restaurant movie? To, uh, I've never seen it. And no, I don't know anybody that's seen it, to be honest with you. I feel like his mother didn't even see it. Um, it's a famous song, but the movie... There, there was this thing in that era where there'd be a hit song and they'd make a movie out of the song. Like, like there's an ode to Billy Joe's uh, movie. I was just thinking of that, Adam. Um, yeah. My dad saw that in the theater. He talks about that. He's like, yeah, I didn't really want to know what they threw off the bridge. <laughs> but uh, if it was a big hit, they had to make a film. But I don't think that movie's that good. I don't know. I'm just saying that I've never heard anybody say anything good about it. I, I kind of want to watch it. Uh, I read a, a bit about it. Uh, I'll send you guys a trailer if you can get a quick taste of Oh, let's watch the trailer. What it might be like. I read that even though it's a 18 minute song, they really still had to stretch it out to make it an hour and a half movie. And which we ended up dumping off the side of a road where we were caught red handed by some. I mean, in other contexts, I'm watching this and like thinking this looks pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, maybe high. You know, it might, (laughs) might help. Uh, it was created by Arthur Penn. Uh, Arthur had directed The Miracle Worker, The Chase, and Bonnie and Clyde. And he worked with Venerable Herndon to build up the script. Uh, the movie was filmed in the Berkshires. Same, uh, same place the, the original Massacre took place. Uh, Arlo, as you can see, plays himself in the film, along with many of his friends. The studio was afraid that the hippies would get baked every day and not show up to set, so they paid them. Or they paid to set them all up in one hotel together, and would drive them to set every day. 
Uh, Alice does have a cameo in the film. Officer Obi plays himself. He insisted, saying, what? If, anyone's, if anyone's gonna make a fool of me, it might as well be me. The judge is a real judge from this case. Uh, the 27 8x10 color glossy photographs are the actual photos from the, from the evidence. Wow. Wait, I, I want to know how Obi knew they were making a movie. Obi's got his hands and everything. He's the sheriff of the town. Uh, the movie opened on August 19th, 1969, one day after Woodstock. Uh, again, I think it was... Kind of came and went, but I still kind of want to see it. Uh, we usually talk about covers. I couldn't find any notable covers. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's not a song you cover. I think it's uh, only Arlo can tell. Is it story. available in karaoke books? Oh my god! <laughs> Let me tell you something. If you really want to devastating, if you really want to piss some people <laughs> off, right? I mean, you go in a bar with one of those digital jukeboxes. Yeah, <laughs> you put Alice's restaurant five times and then you leave the bar <laughs> uh, that's like two and a half hours man well nowadays you can have the touch tunes app and you don't even have to be at the bar you can just put it on five times from oh, elsewhere I absolutely want to find out if Alice's restaurant I feel like putting it on at the bowling alley would be a shitty move too there's no place where it'd be great <laughs> except for maybe Thanksgiving morning I think I have touch tunes I want to see if I have other one here it might be banned. Let me ask you guys a, a weird question, though. Right? Mm. Like, obviously, this is from the folky era when when a song like that could somehow squeak onto the charts, right? Like, is there any music from today that you would say is the uh, progeny of this kind of song? Or... Do you think that was like a total one-off era? Like something with that folksy quality um, that is just like the thing it's trading on is its folksiness. And part of folksy is long-winded, right? People sitting on a fucking rocking chair on a mm-hmm. stoop telling a long-winded-ass story. That's part of it. And that was sort of the times... But in this era that we're in now, I can't even imagine anything that would have that kind of quality making it. You know what I mean? The only person that comes to mind is Todd Snyder. Like, that's the only thing I can think of. But his songs aren't super long. His stories between his songs are. But, uh, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, there. I think there is, there's certainly a scene that I'm sure we're all aware of where it's got some of that same energy. And if you're looking for it, you can find it, but it'd be, it'd be really surprising to see someone spin an 18 minute folk yarn at a festival. Well, hear hear me out. Right. Adam's got an idea for a new song, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, like, um, that era with the folk, you know, there was different qualities that were being sold. And I feel like the folksy storyteller vibe is so out of fashion now. However, if you go to Newport Folk Festival, you'll see a lot of artists that have a folksy kind of earnestness Mm -hmm. in their lyrics and in their presentation. 
And that has not only survived, but is kind of like the backbone of like Americana yeah. music mm-hmm. these yeah. days. It's this earnest, is the kind of earnestness yep. that, that a singer-songwriter genre, you know, with, within Americana. And I feel like we got that, but that genre has become so popular mm-hmm. and it charts and they're on TV and whatever. That you got Tyler Childers is playing arenas. Yeah, you got to keep it to three minutes because it's like actually yeah, yeah. popular now. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think uh, it, there are things about Alice's Restaurant that I that I like, and there's things that I don't like. But what I admire mm-hmm. about it is it's humorous and it's trying to put a message across about the war. And the draft specifically, and also just kind of like policing yeah. and authority and counterculture, and it's doing it with with humor. Whereas in today's world, music and songwriting that would be about war, politics, serious issues, policing would never be funny. Uh, people have kind of lost their sense of humor mm-hmm. in a lot of ways with songwriting. I feel like in a lot of areas of, of the music business, because shit is so earnest now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like the third rail. Everyone's so worried about, you know, they want to be popular. People want their money. They don't want to take a risk. It's unfortunate. Truth is way stranger than fiction now. Like you, it's hard to lampoon such extremity, you know, but, but Arlo Guthrie, commendable that when you have that kind of dry ass wit that really dry folksy humor (laughs) Mm -hmm. crazy things can be funny when they're delivered in a in a dry way you know what i mean yeah this song's a true story so i think that's the case in point but the charm of it is that it's so deadpan yeah and he just says the same lines over and over again in such a comedic way Mm -hmm. they i read somewhere they call it a shaggy dog story which essentially is yeah. like a meandering story that goes absolutely nowhere. Um, and obviously this one has a bigger meaning, but at the end of the day, it's kind of a, a story about one incident that kind of goes nowhere and easily could have been told in three minutes, but way funnier that he stretched out 18 minutes wise. I'm not sure if Alice's restaurant served coffee, but if they did, I hope it was as good as Dark Matter Coffee. He's making ethically sourced, intellectually honest coffee in Chicago, Illinois. We love it so much that we want you to try it on us by heading to darkmattercoffee.com entering coupon code wanted to hit cast that's all one word wanted to hit cast for free shipping on coffee beans at darkmattercoffee.com it'll give you the energy to get through your own 18 minute song well, i'm just gonna throw it out there this song did not chart uh usually we try to guess where the song i was charted. wondering if it did though just because it was such a cultural moment you never know with these back then it was yeah. so am and fm were so <clears> different <throat> and Sometimes these like iconic songs that were like FM radio staples, you you see that they hit like number forty on the chart. Songs that are more popular than the the actual hits of the day. Well, so I don't know for sure that this song didn't chart because of popularity. Because I I read one article and I don't know how true this is, but I read that it did not qualify for the Hot 100 because of its length. Oh, that might be true. So, it, it's an audiobook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the album spent 16 weeks on the Billboard 200, 
Okay. And it peaked at number 29. I mean, that's big for this, for this kind of experimental music. Yeah, so I do wonder if maybe the song would have charted had it been... Yeah, had it qualified. uh, Totally. But they also couldn't sell a single because it won't fit on a 45. That's That's a great point. That's a good one. The top three albums of that week were Bloom and Hits by Paul Murat and his orchestra. Oh. John Wesley Harding by Bob Dylan. Oh. And Access by Jimi Hendrix. (laughs) Uh, Some other notables in the top 20 were there's two Beatles records, (laughs) Magical Mystery Tour and Sgt. Pepper's. And there's also Temptations, BG, Rolling Stones, the Dr. Chiago, Chiago soundtrack, uh, Dan <laughs> Warwick, Aretha Franklin, Otis Redding, Diana Ross, Cream. It was a good time of music. Yeah. Good time of music. And, the, and the uh, Dr. Chivago soundtrack. Hey, man. Whatever sells. Uh, interesting that that Bob Dylan record is was number two, because that's kind of a... That's a really interesting Dylan record, and I kind of feel like a lot of it's in the vein of this song. That's, that it kind of makes sense that, that that was like at the exact same time. I just looked it up and I was going to bring up that Bob Dylan has a song that's almost as long that did chart that shows you the shift oh. in our charting and how things are done, which is in, in 2020, he put out a song called Murder Most Foul. I, I I remember it, but I don't think I listened to it. It was the it. lead single off of his um, most recent studio album. Um, and it's over 16 minutes long. And it hit number one on the rock chart. I just looked it up. <laughs> um, it hit number. Yeah. When did the rules change? Or is it at 16 minutes? 16 minutes is the limit. It hit number five on the rock and alternative billboard chart and it hit number one uh, rock just rock on on uh, billboard and it was a big deal because I think it's the only song that he's ever released that hit number one on any chart because because like a rolling stone was at number two. Oh man that's wild wow well there you go how long is hurricane that's a long song that's long i was that's the song i thought we were going to talk oh, about okay. but that's what like eight minutes probably i actually do that's a long song a i do one. like but it's a, a weaving tale as well yeah check, weaving tale I, really i recommend story. that you moby dick it and you check out <laughs> murder most foul and read okay. the lyrics. It's 16 and a half minutes. Just do it Do it one time and you'll be like, that's cool. I listened to that. I'm in. All right. Adam, deal. Uh, I promise that I will do that. So the... Our album here. Now it's the restaurant. It would re-enter. I, w- I should mention that the 200 the next year when the film was released. Uh, this was also the time when Guthrie recorded a radio version called... It's, a, it's kind of like a rock version called Alice's Rock and Roll Restaurant which clocks in at 4 minutes and 43 seconds. It's not very good. And it's also very different from the song. It's really just the chorus over and over again. Uh, so not 100% sure what the, the thought process was there. Uh, in lieu, usually we go through the top 10 of the, the Hot 100. We've already kind of uh, a bit uh, touched on it, but in lieu of that, I did find an article that had a couple other notable movies that were inspired 
by songs. It's in no particular order, but Alice's Restaurant is number one in this list. Uh, they also have Across the Universe. Wait, is the list the best one? No, it's just, well, it's 10, what's the, what they called it, the uh, 10 movies inspired by great songs. Oh, okay. By it's just, yeah. Rant. Okay. Uh, so Alice's Restaurant is number one on this list. Uh, Across the Universe, Beatles. Uh, oh, yeah. The Gambler, Kenny Rogers. <laughs> Dinner for- I think, was that a TV movie or is that a theatrical release? Uh, that's a good question. Huh. I don't know. We'll find out later. Uh, Dinner for Schmucks, which I did not realize was based on A Fool in the Hill by the Beatles. Huh. Mm. Uh, Factory Girl by the Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Indian Runner, which is based on Highway Patrolman by Springsteen. Okay. We have Ode to Billy Joe on here. The Hitcher, which is based on Riders in the Storm by the Doors. Huh. Uh, and then we have the, the Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. Oh, yeah. Good song. And Vicky Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. And Brazil by Ari Barroso. Ari, Bar- Ari Barroso was a, Bra- uh, was a uh, Brazilian songwriter. And he was really cool. And he wrote, um, he wrote a, a song called Bahia that's in the movie Three Caballeros. But it was a really big hit song. Oh. Internationally. Um, so Probably he- heard it then. Yeah. It's a it's pr- very pretty song, but he was like in the 1930s and 40s. He was like a Brazilian songwriter. Very good. Adam, I've got a running list now of stuff yeah. that I'm going to be spending the time fucking with this Vicky week. Vicky Lawrence, The Night, <laughs> The Lights Went Out in Georgia. I've got that album. I've got a pretty big country collection and like she's Mama from Mama's uh, Family. Yeah. Uh, and that there was such an interesting time then when a lot of country stars were on like major network tv shows oh yeah i i've actually had that song on my list for this podcast i'd love to talk it's about a weird song yeah that's a good one maybe that'll be your return adam to the show i'm down <laughs> to talk about vicky you should try to get her on the show <laughs> Let's <go>. is she still alive she is yeah damn cool she was on the carol burnett show and. I guess while she, I think it was while she was on Carol Burnett, she tried to launch this musical career and she had a hit. And then they were like, do you want your own TV show? So she took one of her characters from the Carol Burnett show and they made Mama's Family spinoff. Right on. I think there are a few more shows like in that universe, the Carol Burnett cinematic universe. Uh, As I mentioned, the song did become a Vietnam protest song. Did he intend that? Or is it just part of the story? I well, he did kind of intend it, and I'll, I'll get to that in a, in a bit, in just a second here. Um, okay, I, I think it's a story, and there is a bit of that. Um, but he he mentioned later in life that he finds that it's more of an anti stupidity song than an anti war song, which I, <laughs> I appreciate because <laughs> it is kind of all about mm-hmm. that. It's just like it's a lot of those. This is such a dumb thing, <laughs> rightfully, to make such a big deal about. But here we are. Uh, yeah. But to your point, Mike, Arlo jokes about, in, later in the song, he jokes about how you 2 can get out of being eligible for the draft. Uh, his, what he tried when he went was to yell that he wants to kill, kill, kill. Kill, kill, kill. And I started jumping up and down, yelling kill, kill. And it started jumping up and down with me, and we was both jumping up and down, yelling kill, kill. And the sergeant 
she came over in the middle on the seven down the hall said you're our boy but he said it apparently backfired and makes the army want you more instead his idea is to sing the chorus of Alice's restaurant and he said if enough people do it they'll think it's a movement and they don't want any movements within the army so that's where the song does you know have its roots in being like got a, a, you know anti-war song um, cool. apparently soldiers abroad loved the song and used it as a rallying cry Arlo said that he sold more copies of the album through the PX which is the post exchange to the military men than regular record stores at the time and he quoted an article he said that's incredible. If true, yeah. Pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, in an article later in life, he said, Well, you know, I wasn't sure at first, but I thought it's probably just a story of a little guy against a big world. It's just a funny tale, and I had, I still have, and I cherish the letters and the postcards and the pictures I got from the guys over in Vietnam. You know, the ones who had it, little Alice's restaurant signs outside of their tents in the mud, and who would be quoting the song, you know, to their superiors or to each other when their superiors had no idea what they were talking about. It became an underground thing, not just here, but everywhere, with the guys on all sides of the struggle, over there and the struggles that were going on over here. And it overcame, it actually now, really, it's a Thanksgiving ballad, more than an anti-war song, or a pro-that, or pro-this, or whatever. And I think that can only happen here. Which is kind of funny thing, that now it's like a celebrated hmm. Thanksgiving thing, which apparently is a holiday to celebrate <laughs> the country, if you will. Uh, and it's a, it's a beautiful anti-war song. Interesting. In uh, 2017, he was selected for preservation in the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or artistically significant. I think I remember seeing the headlines sure. about that. Why not? I want to mention this uh, this fun little side here about uh, Arlo and his dad. In an NPR interview, the interviewer asked if Woody had ever heard the song, and Arlo said, that's a funny joke, you know. I mean, I wrote this in 1966, and my dad passed away in 67. The record hadn't come out yet, but in those days, we made test pressings on acetate. And my manager, who was also my dad's manager, took the acetates to the hospital where my dad was and played him the record. And of course, the family joke is, he heard the record and died immediately afterwards. And apparently, he did die a few <laughs> days later. So <laughs> That's not where I thought that was going, him. and that's too fantastic. <laughs> uh, Arlo would continue... To play the song live over the decades, uh, it can range anywhere from the original 18 minutes long. I read all the way up to 35 minute long versions at times because over the years he would just add to it and meander. Uh, 35. I mean, I don't like jam bands for that reason. I, I, I couldn't do it. Uh, for a bit, he played an annual Thanksgiving concert at New York's Carnegie Hall. Uh, he said performing it is like being in the same half hour Groundhog Day movie every night of your life. Uh, so there was a time when he decided to stop playing it, but people kept asking for it. So he decided that every decade anniversary of the song, he would do a full year or two uh, of tour and make sure to play that song. Uh, so he would do it every 10 years. Um, however, he did say I'm, at one point, I'm getting to the age where I can go by my instincts rather than follow even my own guidelines. So for now, I just do whatever I want. Rules are meant to be broken, I guess. So I guess he did play it here and there. Uh, he is a father of four. And at least a handful of his kids play on, have played on tour with him. Uh, he still lives in Massachusetts, but he splits his time in Florida as well. Um, I do believe he stopped touring in 2020. Uh, he put a, an announcement out. I don't know if he does pop-up shows here and there, but he put an announcement out saying, A folk singer's shelf life may be a lot longer than a dancer or an athlete, but at some point, unless you're incredibly fortunate, 
or just plain wacko, either one or both, it's time to hang up the gone fishing sign. <laughs> Going from town to town and doing stage shows, remaining on the road is no longer an option. Um, however, if you like pictures of moons in the Massachusetts sky, I recommend him as a Twitter follower because he just posts a lot of pictures of moons. That sounds lovely. Yeah. He seems like a good follow. Uh, the back room, Alice's original restaurant, uh, would shut down around the time of the song's release. I mentioned that Norman Rockwell had a studio above the restaurant. Mm-hmm. It was rumored that his famous painting and Saturday Evening Post cover The Runaway. I will send you a, a quick shot of that if you want to check it out. It was rumored that The Runaway was painted or inspired by Alice's restaurant mm. and that the police officer oh, in yeah. the picture is Officer Obi. However, dude, this has been debunked. But mm. Obi did posed for Rockwell many times. Uh, there's a famous sketch called Policemen with Boys. I will send you that one. This what? is this is Officer Obi. I know it sounds weird. It sounds real weird. <laughs> it's What's also the, the pretty the picture, weird. The picture's weird too, honestly. It's a weird. You I said, always thought the other one, the posed, diner one's weird. You said he posed for nude policemen with boys? <laughs> <laughs> he posed for Norman Rockwell many times. And there is a a sketch called Policeman with Boys, which is strange and yeah. weird. It was a nationwide ad for Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance. Fucking uh, hell. The, uh, I always thought the, the runaway was a weird one, and I think about it every time that I take our dog, Gary, to the vet because it's in one of the rooms. They I have it on the wall. where you're going with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never seen that, but apparently it's the, the famous one. Yeah. Uh, Obi had quite the life, uh, you know, he went from arresting Arlo to starring in the movie to being immortalized by Norman Rockwell. Uh, he went on to have four kids and he passed away in 1994. Judge Hannon, who also played himself in the film, died shortly after. In- I love that you looked up all the characters. This is, this is great. Uh, he died in 1971, but the law firm that he founded survives to this day in Massachusetts. Oh, uh, as for Alice, she would go. Adam, in case you ever get in any, uh, any trouble in Massachusetts on tour, you know who to yeah. call. Judge mm-hmm. Hannah Law Firm. Uh, as for Alice, she would go on to open several other restaurants after the back room. She did attempt to start an Alice's Restaurant franchise in the 1960s, but closed the first really? location in New York almost immediately when it failed a taste test, apparently. <laughs> uh, regardless, <laughs> in 19... 19- 69 oh, random house published the alice's restaurant cookbook which featured recipes and hip hippie wisdom from alice brock oh uh alice and ray eventually would get divorced and ray passed away in 1979 alice who was also an artist would continue her art well into the 2010s she even illustrated a book called mooses come walking which is written by arlo guthrie uh, she's still alive, but I read that her health has been declining over the years, unfortunately. Uh, years ago, before Alice and Ray were divorced, they, they did sell the church. However, in 1995, the church went back up for sale, and none other than Arlo himself would purchase the property. Uh, and he's turned it into the Guthrie Center, and uh, to according to Wikipedia. Oh, knows. that's where that oh, is. Yeah. I didn't know, but cool. uh, it's an interfaith meeting place that serves people of all religions. The center provides weekly free lunches to the community and supports and support for families living with HIV and AIDS, as well as other life-threatening illnesses. Uh, it hosts a summertime concert series, and Guthrie uh, used to do fundraising shows, much still, uh, often. 
there are several annual events such as a walkathon to cure Huntington's disease and a Thanksgiving dinner that can't be beat for family, friends, and doctors and scientists who live in the area and work with Huntington's disease. Uh, I couldn't find anything on Arlo's accomplice, Richard Robbins, but I did read, I read that Arlo, Alice, and Richard all reunited in uh, for Thanksgiving in 2022. <laughs> it's the first time of they've course. all been together, so I assume he's, he's uh, still living. I'll send you a, a picture from Arlo's Twitter. Uh, it's the picture of the the three of them outside of the ch- church. I love that Arlo's tweeting. Arlo's tweeting, and that's that's the three of them right there uh, outside the oh, church. Oh, and his, his Twitter his Twitter username is Folkslinger. Oh, I didn't even realize that. That's great. That's great. There they are. Wow. wow. Fifty seven years after the crime. <laughs> that's sweet. That's fantastic. So I always have to end with a quote. Reflecting on why Alice still connects with new audiences despite its Vietnam War and military draft protest roots, Guthrie cites its timeless theme of questioning authority. Quote, I've remained distrustful of authority my entire life. I believe it's one of the great strengths of democracy that we take seriously our role as the ultimate authorities by our interests and our votes. Young people have always had a rebellious streak. It goes with the territory of growing up. And in an interview a few years back, this uh, during the time of the Iraq War, he said, quote, here, are, here we are 40 years later, and we have an unpopular war overseas. Everybody will agree with that. And the times are eerily familiar to when this song came out. And here I am, 40 years older. I'm looking at myself. I'm hearing myself from 40 years ago. And I thought, who would have thunk? I mean, that the song would still not only be popular, but have some relevance. I'm just smiling, thinking about it. And that's the story of Alice's Restaurant. Right on, Arlo. Mm. Yeah, you know, still, still prescient today in a lot of ways. Question authority, it's fucking prescient. Yeah. anti, anti stupidity. Yep, I'm here for it. Uh, I did not expect to talk about this. I'm, I, I, that was that was heartwarming and funny and insightful and a lot of fun. I'm glad you enjoyed. I thought it was great, and I liked the song more than I did an hour ago. That's what we're here for. That's I what we try to do here. I think. I don't know if there's been many songs that we've gotten to the end and we haven't been like, whether we already liked it or not, like gained respect for it or gained affinity for it. This Mm. one, this one, you know what? I'm going to listen to the whole thing through once. I don't think I've ever done it. (laughs) It's fun. God bless you. Via con Dios. I will not be doing that. (laughs) I might try to find the LP and then. I'll listen to it once, and then I'll be hitting side B for the other seven songs all the time. P.S. P.S. I also want to say, though, because it sounds like I'm disparaging to the song. He has a bunch of other songs that are really good. And nobody, like, they don't play any of his other songs that much anymore. Like, you never hear it. But he's got Mm -hmm. some really great songs. Arlo Guthrie. City in New Orleans is amazing. And uh, Coming into Los Angeles is a really good one. He's got a whole bunch. He's got a solid half of a greatest hits album worth of good songs. Well, that's that's the that's side B then, and then side A. Yeah, the that's the seven on side B. But yeah, city, <laughs> city of New Orleans is uh, his only charting song, his only oh, okay. technical hit. Yeah, um, but yeah, he's synonymous with this song, or at least at Thanksgiving time, he is. Yeah, uh, he so. did a lot with it. I mean, he's got the whole all the cool things he's still doing to help people is through this song that's that's really neat i mean pretty fun to have your your first song pop off and you make a movie of it and 
you know? Uh, and unlikely that it was 18 minutes. That's what we're talking about here. Unlikely hit. And I call it a hit because we all know it. Yeah. Everyone, everyone that I feel like most people I would ask about, they're like, yeah, I've either heard it, heard of it, etc. So that's a hit. That's a hit. Play the Thanksgiving stations around the country, which I had no idea. I thought, I thought we were special in Philly, but uh, <laughs> apparently it's a thing that a lot of people do. Well, thank you guys for shedding some light on the song. I'm surprised that this was the choice, but it now it makes a lot of sense. It's almost <laughs> tis the season. Yeah, but but this song might not have come up unless, you know, Theo had made the Philly connection. So, glad it did. If you ever want to talk about One Night in Bangkok. <laughs> or The yeah. Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. I'm here for that song. Yeah. yeah or Vicky Lawrence. <laughs> Mur- Murray Head. Murray Head or Vicky Lawrence. Noted on um, on the on the the spreadsheet, the Google Doc. Uh Adam, thanks for spending time with us tonight. I know that you're you're busy these days. Uh do you mind telling the uh the you wanted a hitters about what's going on in your world, especially the new album? And oh, no <laughs> a shining place I never knew. <laughs> I'm doing an Aladdin. I'm doing an Aladdin covers album. Um, I would listen to that. Hundred percent. I saw. I saw in a record store the other day a vinyl copy of the soundtrack of the live action Aladdin with Will Smith. Whoa! Oh my god! That's and a lot I was of layers. Thinking, what's, there. what's the audience for this vinyl copy? <laughs> oh, <Lord>. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm doing a whole bunch of shit. Uh, so I've got some end of year shows coming up. Uh, in in Asbury Park and in Philly, we're doing two nights for New Year's Eve, the 30th and 31st in Philly. Uh, but I'm really excited to talk about my film. I made an art dealer's uh, film. We put our album out in September. It was very well received. And then I have this entire art dealer's film. And as I was t- telling you earlier, we premiered in Richmond at the Richmond International Film Festival. I won an award there. We played Hell at yeah. the Philly Film Festival. We played at Sound Unseen this past weekend. And we're just getting amazing feedback on this film. So next year, hopefully we can get it out to people. And um, we've got a huge spring tour uh, in the Western U.S. that we're about to announce. And... Um, I've got a radio show that I'm doing next summer called the Connie Club here in Philly. Oh, super cool. I'm, I'm going to be doing 10 episodes all summer, so I'm busy. Maybe I'll close a show with Alice's <laughs> Restaurant one time and <laughs> just clear. Just, it's a room yeah. clearer. You know? <laughs> the <laughs> venue staff will appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, you know, when they say, they say, one more song, one more song. I'm like, all right. You want I'll a song? You a fucking one more song. <laughs> that's a wrap on this episode of you wanted a hit thanks for listening good luck getting that song out of your head if you enjoyed the show please do all the things podcasts usually ask you to they really help tell a friend about the show subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts write a review on your favorite podcast app and visit our website ywahpod.com that's ywahpod.com for updates on new episodes and our merch store we have t-shirts sweatshirts hats coffee mugs stickers and more and it all goes back into the podcast we would love to hear what you thought of the episode and we also want to hear if there's something that we missed you can reach us on instagram and twitter at ywhpod 
or directly via email at ywhpod at gmail.com. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.